It takes more than great deployment babysitting skills to be a great engineer. This is episode 164 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical topics and babysitting the deployment. I'm trying to think of what... I babysitted once or twice, and I was a neglectful babysitter. I like put on a movie for myself and was like hey (laughs) don't die children (laughs) did you lock them in a room first no i didn't but i should have and i'm trying to think of what that would translate to in deploy babysitting probably have my actual deployment babysitting strategy which is like browse some twitter check back every (laughs) once in a while see if the site's down yep oh what do you know (laughs) it is (laughs) huh huh well well uh it's five (laughs) o'clock okay i have our wonderful patrons here i would like to thank Thank you to all these folks who are donating at the level where we shout them out every episode. Thank you to Matthew Voidovich, the Agile Ventures Charity, Zach Grannon, Tails, the weird orange, the weird orange squirrel thing, I guess. Luis Santos, Nick Cantar, Sean Ivo Robotnik, Sunny Tai, Sonic the Hedgehog, Marie Rousseau, and Chris Hogan. Thank you so much to all of those people and everyone else who has donated. You help make the show possible. You pay for editing, for hosting, and for all the expenses that go into it. And if you donate on Patreon, any amount for any period of time. You get invited to our soft skills engineering Slack team, which is great. It's really good. There's some great conversations going on there. It's so fun. I liked the one that was about shifting from development to product. I think that was cool. There's another one about mentoring people and finding out they're underpaid and how do you handle that delicate advocacy situation. So it's, it's a great place to chat about these kind of things. Yeah, super good. All right. Do you want to read our first question, Dave? Sure thing. This comes from a listener named Anonymous. (laughs) So I don't know if I should read this in a squeaky mouse voice (laughs) maybe a mickey mouse voice i want to hear you do the rest of the podcast in a mickey mouse voice i want to hear you make your deep good points like (laughs) well i think you should talk to your manager (laughs) (laughs) i actually do do a pretty good mickey but you're not going to hear it today sorry okay i'm unrehearsed i am not to that level on patreon yet Uh, okay oh man oh we could set goals like that wait a minute yeah that's that's like the kickstarter stretch goals yes once we hit a million dollars, an episode in Dave's squeaky Mickey Mouse voice. <laughs> totally worth the money. <laughs> <laughs> then I could tell my kids, no, no, this is actually a good Mickey Mouse. It was worth a million bucks. <laughs> I'm a professional like, Mickey Dad, Mouse impersonator. Dad, you're terrible. I'm like, the money says otherwise, kids. Yeah. All right. On to the question from Anonymous. Hello. First of all, I love the show. Thank you so much for the amazing work. You're welcome, Anonymous. I, okay, the question continues. I always think I'm going to be fired. I'm an extremely anxious person, so I feel the need for constant feedback and for someone to tell me everything is all right. Minor problems send me into absolute despair. How can I deal with such anxiety? I frequently ask my manager during one-on-ones if everything is all right and how I'm performing, and he almost always says things are going well. In our six-month performance reviews, I get more detailed feedback on what I'm doing well and what I can improve. This makes me feel less anxious because I know exactly what my boss is thinking. Even if something has to be improved, at least I know it. Are there any indicators I can use to tell if I'm about to be fired or if my manager is happy with my work? I've told my manager about my anxiety and that I'd like constant feedback. That has helped, but I was hoping to get more detailed feedback. Preferably, this feedback would make me able to tell in a scale from 0 to 100 how well I'm performing. Thank you very much. Boy, that's just the dream, isn't it? If you just know from 0 to 100, I feel like that's the dream of a lot of managers too, is they want a, they want a number yeah. that shows goodness of performance. Makes it so much easier to stack rank and then fire the people at the it, bottom. It does. Yeah. You, oh, boy. We got a 29 here and a 28. 
guess you're gone, <laughs> 28. <laughs> Sorry, 28. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's a very fuzzy knowledge work is fuzzy and the output is fuzzy mm-hmm. so it's hard to assign numbers to it people have been trying for a long time and it turns out all those numbers suck not only do they suck but they usually are actively harmful yeah like in the 28 versus 29 case <laughs> yeah yeah i think my first instinct was to say it sounds like you need to get fired once to see what it takes yeah because <laughs> then you'll know <laughs> yeah it's like there's kind of a thing with riding motorcycles where there is some limit which you can ride to at which your traction will fail your bike will slip out and and usually that will kill you if you're going fast enough for that to happen okay. so like you you stay pretty far away but you don't know how far away you are necessarily because you haven't done it before and once you do it if you live then you know <laughs> like <laughs> okay i can go that fast and turn that sharp without my tires slipping out So I think you need to apply the same thing. You need to start taking casual Friday to the extreme. (laughs) There's, I'll leave the rest of that to your imagination, I guess. What (laughs) else could you do? There's a, there's an enormous list. (laughs) Yeah. Take, take basically any of our advice from previous episodes and try and apply it. (laughs) (laughs) That might get you fired. (laughs) You'll find the point pretty quick. Yeah. I guess we didn't read this in the question, but that was one of the details that this person has never been fired. And that was kind of tongue in cheek, but I think there might be something there that like, if it's never happened, you you don't know how close you are to that line. And yeah. if you have had a period of really, really bad performance or, or or things that would cause you to get fired, I think it's probably easier to know after that. Like, yeah, I'm not doing, I'm pretty far away from that. So I'm, I might be safe. I really like that. But it's bad advice. Well, no, I mean- <laughs> Like I, most of it. Like, <laughs> I, I like- the idea of having had the experience of having been fired in the past, but I obviously I don't like the idea of going through it just to get calibrated. <laughs> yeah, and and there's all kinds of other factors that are not necessarily your performance that can lead to someone getting fired. Oh yeah, for sure. I think this question asker is mostly worried about the performance aspect. Like if if the finance team showed up and said, "All right, we're laying all of you off," I think it would be like, "Oh, well, okay." I mean, I think we yeah. all know that can happen anytime. There's basically no indicators. Why don't the engineers ever go to the finance team and say, hey, we're laying all of you off? <laughs> we decided money isn't important and only code matters. <laughs> and you haven't written any of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't have a finance team, they can't lay you off. Yeah, it's true. And I think the next step is wild success. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Another idea is you could just ask your boss every month in your one-on-ones, hey, am I on track to be fired next month? And then get it in writing. <laughs> it's like calling shotgun. There's <laughs> Everyone has to respect shotgun. And there's no way your boss can fire you if they told you last month they're not going to fire you this month. So, <laughs> Especially if you have a written contract. Yeah. <laughs> and then one, one month, your boss will be like, I'm not signing that. And you're going to be like, yeah. oh, I know what's going on. <laughs> and then you need to have another meeting before that meeting saying, are you going to tell me in the next meeting that I am on track to not be fired. <laughs> you should put more layers in. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I like that. I feel for both sides of this because I have both felt that I was about to be fired when I wasn't. And mm. I have been a manager who's been guilty of not giving enough feedback to the team. And my instinct is to say, like, things are going fine, so I don't need to intercede. But that can come off very differently to people on the team. And if I'm not giving them explicit direction and signals of how I think they're doing, then they'll read that into other things that aren't necessarily meant to be signals of how they're doing. And and I found that life is just much better on a team if people feel like they know how they're doing, whether they're doing well or, or not so great. Yeah. 
as part of this, I found that it's really hard. <laughs> and I think most managers don't give feedback well. It's, it's a hard skill to develop. It's uncomfortable. It goes against a lot of our inclinations. Mm -hmm. So I think this is kind of the default where people kind of don't really know how well they're doing. And then there's some event that crystallizes it, whether it's a performance review or promotion cycle that happens or doesn't happen. And then they go back to this fog of like, I still work here, so I can't be doing that bad. Yeah. But <laughs> am I doing great? Am I almost doing great? Am I doing horribly? I think this yeah. is just the norm, sadly. Like people, managers struggle to give good feedback. Yeah, that's because it's hard, right? Yeah. Like managers have an, an imperfect view of the performance of their people, not only because it's hard to quantify, but also because they just don't see everything from every perspective. Yeah. And so you might be surprised to learn that your manager actually doesn't know how well you're doing at all. Mm. Uh, and they might have some visibility into some anecdotes, but they might not have a complete picture. And yeah. so asking them to give feedback can be hard. And so that's why I like... Uh, 360 peer feedback where managers collect feedback on your behalf and then present that to you as unfiltered as possible. Then you can really know like this is what my team thinks and your manager can kind of collate that and form a conclusion about it and tell you you're doing okay or you're not doing okay. But it's really hard for a manager to sit down and say you're doing 28. Yeah. I. This is a deep, deep topic about how to give good feedback as a manager and why it's important. And I feel like we could talk forever about it. It's not the situation the listener is in though. I just brought it up to underscore the fact that this is the norm, I think. And and the fact that the question asker got a helpful semi-annual performance review makes this probably better than the norm, honestly, mm -hmm. where often those are not the most helpful. Right. So so uh, I think recognizing this is how it generally works and, and working to change that is different than feeling like there's something wrong with you to have this happen to you, I guess. that's yeah. That's the point. Like, there's nothing wrong with you that this is the situation you're in. This is the situation most people are in. Yes, yes. And it shouldn't be. And I hope that the the general level of skill at feedback improves in engineering management. But we are where we are right now. Mm -hmm. I was reading a book actually that said uh, it was by a person who's who's managed a bunch of managers. And she said she'll do skip level interviews with, with people who report to the managers who report to her. And the most common piece of feedback when she asked, what could your manager be doing better is give me more feedback. It's, it's, yeah, it happens. Okay. There you go. There's so the case data. is made. We've established it. <laughs> you're not so alone. So, what, what does Anani Mouse do? Well, I think you're already doing most of the important things, which is telling your manager that you want feedback. You've been very clear that you need it. And every six months, it sounds like you're getting a pretty good reinforcing piece of evidence that you're not going to get fired. But I think the real question here is what are the indicators I should be on the lookout for? that will tell me I'm about to get fired or that my manager is truly unhappy with my work because even though they say, you're doing fine, I wanna know what they're really thinking. Yeah. And there are some indicators like that, but they're really fuzzy and easy to misinterpret. So, I mean, the, the clearest indicator is, hey, we're putting you on a special plan because we want your performance to improve. And those are typically called PIPs or performance improvement plans. And that's like, if a manager sits down with you and says, you're going on a PIP, that means your performance in the eyes of the manager is definitely low and you are basically on the way out the door unless you can make a real big improvement, right? But even those pips typically take 30 to 90 days, right? Yeah, to so, get through, yeah. So you have warning and you have time to recover, but that's pretty typical. Not always though, not always though. Like if you, if you do really egregious stuff, you know, like let's say you start making racist comments at work or something like that, you might just get fired just immediately, right? Yeah, but, I don't get the sense that's the situation. Yeah. I mean- Everyone is. Everyone should be one racist comment away from getting fired in yes. the 
<laughs> if you say that stuff, you should be gone. Like, I don't know that that's a source of anxiety. If it, I, I assume it's more performance-based about yeah. like, was this too slow? Are they unhappy that this took too long or, or didn't come out right? Or Right. So, so what other signals should we be on the lookout for? Oh, man, that's a really good question. And I can't think of an answer. So our question asker has admitted that they are prone to anxiety. I can't think of any answer that's not going to just like <laughs> cause an anxiety episode, you yeah. know, like because because like you said, they're all subtle signals. I've seen it happen where if, if it happens quickly, people bounce out and the team kind of like pulls away from them. And that's not necessarily a healthy behavior, a way to handle it. But it's like you can sense the smell of getting fired on the person. What? Uh, what, what do you mean what do you mean pulls away i didn't quite follow that like so there's a case i'm thinking of a new person joined they passed the interview process they joined the team and immediately you could tell there were some issues and people kind of tried to work through them and, and help this person or give feedback and it didn't get better and eventually this happened relatively quickly actually but people kind of gave up and we're and we're like okay i'll just avoid this person because mm-hmm. it's okay the work isn't great it's hard to work with them we'll, we'll just pull away Maybe not even consciously, right? Like, not. And yeah, not yeah. It wasn't team. like no one, no one sat by them at lunch or something. It was just like the team routed around them. I see. But, but again, this is this is like a pretty egregious thing, you know. Like, yeah, it was clear when they joined that there was a problem, and it happened pretty quickly. I think it was within a month that they uh, that they were hired and then fired. Okay, so probably not the situation here. Yeah, I mean, how many firings have you witnessed? Not, not even just had to do but like had to participate in or or been around like can you think of signals or signs that you could have seen from that person's perspective you know the firings that i've witnessed again it was a case where the managers didn't give the greatest feedback and i think it was it came as a surprise to the person yeah that's what like you'll never know good luck question answered (laughs) you know (laughs) the the worst firing i saw was that case too where it was someone who struggled for a long time everyone on the team knew Maybe there are some signs in that that the managers there were consistently working with this person to improve performance and everyone else was, it was a very hands-off environment for everyone else. But I think it still felt sudden to them. And there was yeah. certainly never like a, you need to do better or you will get fired conversation. Yeah. You know, I just want to call out one possible indicator to keep an eye on. But like Jameson said, this is a really risky indicator to call out because it could be harmless and it might just cause anxiety. And then, you know, you end up reading into these situations too, too much. But like, if you are seeing that you are consistently given less and less important tasks to do, mm. and there's not an explanation, like, you know, when I give an, an, uh, an engineer an unimportant task, I will tell them like, hey, this may seem unimportant or insignificant in some reason or for, in some way, but it's important for these reasons. And I'm sorry to give it to you, but someone's got to do it. And this time it just fell to you. You know, and so I, I try to kind of give almost a cop out or at least some kind of motivator when yeah. I when that happens. But if that's all you do and the manage, management is not giving any kind of explanation as to why and you see your other teammates doing really cool stuff and maybe you've even asked to work on some of that cool stuff, that could be an indicator that you don't have the trust of your leadership. Yeah, I like what you said about trust where um, it, it's generally accompanied by a lack. Being fired is preceded by losing trust in your ability to execute. So I think that's an interesting signal. I, I do think there is still something here. The, the question asker said that they've been pretty persistent about asking their manager for feedback. And, and that, that still feels like the best, the best answer to me, where you can read into these signals and that might 
cause horrifying problems, yeah. but it it still feels like your manager needs to know that you have this fear of getting fired all the time. I'm sure that that affects your work. And and if you are not going to be fired and they can remove that fear, I think it would probably result in you working more effectively. So yeah. it's in their best interest to address as well. Absolutely. So the question asker says, I've told my manager about my anxiety and that I'd like constant feedback. I think you need to keep telling them. Mm-hmm. And it could be if you have regular feedback sessions or one-on-ones with them, maybe you need to add a recurring question where you just ask, how am I doing? Like, can you tell me about my performance this past whatever amount of time? And, and and then maybe less regularly emphasize to them, hey, I have this kind of slightly irrational, but still there anxiety that even though things seem like they're going great, I'm just going to get fired. And this regular feedback helps me calibrate that. In the one time that I, the, the biggest time I felt like this, I did have that kind of conversation with my manager. And his first response was, you're not going to get fired. And his second response was, why do you feel that way? And then we dug into it quite a bit. And, and I think we uncovered some helpful stuff in terms of how to reflect value more and how to choose tasks that are that are more important. Or, or it, it turned into both useful feedback for me and useful um, kind of career direction things for me. That's cool. He was also a very good manager. Yeah. So maybe that won't happen this way with your manager. I don't know. I guess I'm just bragging about my good experience. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, on the show we've mentioned before, I think this has come up before, this kind of thing with anxiety. And we should say we are not mental health professionals. We are space psychiatrists. We only deal with extrasolar mental health. And so in my unprofessional earthly mental health opinion, it might help to have a trusted professional who can help you navigate some of these situations. You know, that's a great point. Yeah, I I will readily admit that I go see a psychologist and it's been one of the most helpful things for both my life and my work life as well because so much of that is tied together. Anyone who spends an hour a week with me needs a full-time psychologist (laughs) on staff. It's like to counterbalance the hour I go see a psychologist for an hour a week. It's like a detox for my brain. (laughs) Perfect. All right, well, did we answer the question? I think so. Good luck, Anani Mouse. All right, I'm going to read this next question. This is from a just regular old anonymous listener. Okay. <laughs> hey, Dave and Jameson, love the show and your insight. I have been having a problem on my, on my team that I hope you can help with. We are a team of engineers that have internal customers. It's a bit of a back-end of the back-end role. The problem is none of the other engineers are customer-focused. They don't engage with the real needs of our customer teams. Tickets come in. They do what's in the ticket as it reads exactly, and we end up with the requirements getting lost, tickets needing to be reopened, and our ep- our reputation going down the tubes. I have taken it on myself to engage with the customer and help them out, but now I've become a glorified customer service rep and I can't do much of my own work because I'm passing messages back and forth between engineers who don't like to talk to their customers. My manager says the team needs training and they're going to work with them, but this has been going on for months. Should I take the soft skills advice of quit your job or continue being a middleman? Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> that was a double hmm. <laughs> yeah. I This one line stuck out to me. I've taken on, yeah, I've become a glorified customer service rep and I can't do much of my own work because I'm passing back and forth. I'm passing messages back and forth between engineers and customers. That's also what some people call product management or project <laughs> management in, in its degenerate form. That's like you talk to the customer, you tell the engineers what the customer said, yeah. and then hand the thing that the engineers built back to the customer. Right. Or hand back a message saying the engineers can't build this. (laughs) Yeah. You just need to tweak your fake job title from glorified customer service rep to glorified product manager or project manager. Yeah. 
Or maybe like bad project manager. (laughs) (laughs) Underqualified program manager. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or unwilling program manager. There you go. Reluctant. Yes. I was actually going to say, sounds like your company needs to hire a program manager. Yeah, there are people who do this and it's their job and they're good at it and they love it and they add lots of value when they do it. Huge. Sounds like your company doesn't have any of those. (laughs) But also, yeah, I mean, also these engineers like, oh, I I feel your pain. I really don't like being on teams that just, quote, do what they're told. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, man, sometimes people, I think, interpret just do what you're told as being really customer centric and super like the customer is always right. I'm going to do exactly what they say. But in reality, like the best product teams, they deliver what the customer needs even if it's a little different from what the customer literally said. Yeah. Sounds like you don't have one of those teams. So I have a friend named Brandon who does a podcast called Managing Up, and it's really good. They have an episode about working with product. And one of the one of the concerns they talk about is this feeling of like, oh, the requirements aren't detailed enough. And his point is that the end road of that discussion is binders and binders of specs. Mm. And like you could get detailed requirements if that's what you want but it's kind of a monkey's paw situation like you want detailed requirements do you (laughs) (laughs) now it's your job to write requirements and the kind of degenerate case of engineers just wanting to know exactly what to build and building exactly what they're told is is that it's that you have to write exactly what they should build and that's not the dream of most engineers i think i feel like they want to build good work that's valued and they don't want to spend all their time digging through this very in-depth process, CMM level 16, whatever you (laughs) get up to. So that's kind of the stick, I guess, like get more interested in the product or else we will have to impose this heavyweight process to determine what you work on. But it sounds like this person's team is exactly that kind of engineer. Just give me me an unending list of tickets and I will implement what they say. Yeah, maybe they should go work in the defense industry then. sounds like there's a government contract waiting for you. Maybe that's what they're already doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are great people in both those industries that I'm aligned. Yeah. Way, way to go. Way to dig yourself out of my that My stereotypes one. are my stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't pry away my defense industry stereotypes. <laughs> in my experience, engineers or teams that feel like this have been hurt and are responding to past trauma, Ooh. whether it's on the job or on previous jobs, Ooh. where maybe they've tried to engage and been told like, get your nose away or they've been burned by crazy deadlines you know and and intense deadline pressure removes your ability to think about the work beyond just cranking it out you can't you can't take a step back and think what does the customer want if it's like this needs to be delivered yesterday and what are you talking about you want to go meet with them and see what their needs are and you don't have time for that you have to get this code out so i feel like there are certainly some engineers who prefer to work more this way where you hand them things to do and they hand back code but in my experience Teams of people like this have been told that they cannot contribute value in anything but cranking out the code. And that seems like a problem that you could help resolve by showing that the code they produce will have more context and meaning if it's tempered with this understanding of what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like a your code will be better. It's, it's like the project will go better. We will work faster. We will deliver more if we figure out what they want. So we deliver that instead of reading a ticket, writing our what we think our interpretation of the ticket is, handing it back, finding out it's wrong, and then doing this back and forth. It's it's not just like you should want to do this for the craft as I raise my hand theatrically, but literally to make your life better. You'll you'll build the right thing and ship it better. 
and more often. Yeah, and you might just be proud of your work. Yeah. So I think I just recommended an inspirational speech as the solution to this. <laughs> Do you have any like podiums or, oh, like dramatic scenery, <laughs> mountaintops you could take the team to? Oh, yeah. The wind whipping at your back. You're going to need to be in great shape and have super long hair to pull this off. <laughs> so take whatever time you need to prep for that. Okay. And maybe a megaphone. Yeah. Pose dramatically. Make sure as you lift the megaphone up to your lips that you're flexing your bicep very <laughs> casually, but noticeably. Right. Like you're not trying. Yeah. You're not trying. It's just like, just happens. oh, huh. <laughs> Look how veiny that is. Weird. Um, anyways, I think that'll add to my points about product management. <laughs> Let me just move these rocks around to build a, a nice stand for me to stand on. Oh, oh, it's the Blarney stone. That strongman stone that that lets people win competitions. Huh. <laughs> Look how easily I lifted it. I didn't expect that. Isn't that the Blarney stone? I don't know. Oh, no, that's the one where you... you Kiss the stone and it endows you with magical powers. Okay. okay. Same thing. Wrong stone. But there are these <laughs> there, there are these like famous stones that strongmen pick up. Yeah, I watched I actually watched one of those competitions in person a couple of weeks ago. Really? Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd love to go to one of those. It was. It was even better than you might think. Just these gigantic, outrageously strong men and women picking up heavy stuff. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, they were very large. And they just had to throw big rocks as far as they could. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the most like primitive, uh -huh. brutal thing in the world. And yet I love I loved every bit of it. It was great. Yeah. Anyway, I could talk. I could talk more, so but do I'll, that. I won't. <laughs> that will help. Get into strongman. Do you think there might be an incentive system that's broken here? I mean, you mentioned past trauma, but do you think there's something currently going on at this company that's causing these people to be completely narrowly focused? I think it could be. Yeah, that kind of gets into the deadline stuff too. Like, if your incentive is get all your tickets done, and that's what gets rewarded, then that's going to affect the team's behavior. So I, I think you're right that examining the incentives that the team has would maybe lend some some insight into how to address it because mm -hmm. something is contributing to it. And, and people want to feel good about their work. I feel like, I mean, there could be a layer of cynicism on top, but I think generally people want to enjoy their jobs and they want to do good work and they want to feel like it's meaningful. And this doesn't sound meaningful to me. Yeah. Although I don't want to malign these people too badly because... I mean, maybe they, in their eyes, they're doing a great job. I mean, they're doing what the ticket said. They're implementing the code. It works. You know, it just, what, yeah. what the ticket asked for wasn't quite right. And so maybe, you know, they're failing to challenge assumptions in some cases. But, you know, at the end of the day, not every engineer needs to be a full-time assumption challenger. You know, yeah. I mean, that can get, that can be equally problematic on the other end of the spectrum. And so you kind of need a mix of people on a team. And I think what this question asker is learning is just how much effort it takes from a leadership perspective to keep the the ship going forward in the right direction, to intercept bad ideas and to make sure they don't become, you know, boat anchors. Did you like how I used two different sailing metaphors in one sentence? I did. <laughs> I was hoping for a third. <laughs> you need but you need to look through the, great. through the porthole of the I got nothing. <laughs> of the like Kanban board and <laughs> Adjust your mainsails as you <laughs> trim your rudder. Swab the poop deck. <laughs> the poop deck is definitely the integration test suite. Yeah, and you're already swabbing it pretty hard here, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't want to say these people are are they're bad. I'm I'm more saying something in their environment I think makes them act this way. Yeah, sure. And it could also be kind of a lack of 
context or understanding where um, I've seen this on teams I've worked on where the the less context they have, the the lower quality of the work. Yeah. And the more we have to spend a bunch of time redoing things. And it wasn't because this team wanted to do bad work. It was because there were some communication issues with other teams. And, and it kind of turned into the situation where work got tossed over the wall and we tossed stuff back. And what do you know? Like sometimes that means it doesn't work very well. <laughs> so it wasn't a lack of desire. It was more that no one was kind of modeling or rewarding or encouraging that behavior of we want to solve this problem. Let's really dig in and figure out how to do it and and demonstrate that it will work well. And but that's I don't know. How do you do that as an individual contributor? That sounds like your your manager's job. It does. And it sounds like you're already trying to model that behavior right now and it's not really having the effect that you'd hoped. But speaking of, yeah. of your manager, I, I would bet that your manager just absolutely loves you right now because you're the only person trying to keep this team's reputation afloat. There's another sailing mm. reference for you. <laughs> and, and while everyone else is kind of just doing their job, you are like taking it to the next level and really showing some strong ownership and customer obsession here. And that's great. So I don't know. I mean, I think you should probably sit down with your manager some more and say, you know, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of this team. What do we need to do here? You say they need training, but I don't think training's going to solve it. And maybe they've even done training and that would be great if they have because you could say, look, nothing has changed. <laughs> training as the scapegoat. Yeah. Ah, that old, that long-standing business practice. Yes. Well, I'll just need training. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I would probably drive this home a little bit harder with your manager and point out key instances where your team's reputation has been damaged due to this mentality and say, look, I'm trying to question assumptions. I'm trying to do the right thing for the team, but it's a bit of an uphill battle and I need your support. And it's possible your manager doesn't really know what to do, but they probably have a voice or a platform to do it from if you can give them some ideas. Yeah. I think there's a mix of inclinations towards this kind of work among developers. And some are much more pulled to the product side and some really are pulled to the technical side. And maybe you can identify, it's it's possible that there'll be several people who don't want anything to do with this, but maybe you can identify kind of natural allies or people you think would be interested in it and help mentor them on this a little bit or share the load mm-hmm. a little bit. Because part of the gist of this question is I'm a developer. Like I don't want this to be my job full time. I can't produce any technical output while I'm doing all of this. Yeah. But if you can spread that work among the team a little bit and get some backup, I think that might spread through the rest of the team a little bit more. Love it. Well, have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. Good luck, Anonymous. If people would like their own questions answered, what can they do? Go to softskills.audio and click ask a question where you can fill out our form. Thank you so much to everyone who's asked. We really appreciate it. There's a lot of questions and we just love every single one of them. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. 